0: Hello, women in the Word. Hello out there. So good to see you today. I'm Lynn Kitchens. I'm happy to be here studying God's Word with you. Today we are looking at David's final song out of all of his 73 songs that we've been looking at some of those in the Psalms. David titled this psalm, A Song of Praise, and um, it's the only one he gave this title out of all of his psalms, and someone described it as praise pitched in a high key. And I thought that is exactly right. It's perfect for Thanksgiving, isn't it, to be studying this right now? It's the crown jewel from, of praise It came from the heart of a king who lived his life running after the heart of his God. And because he did that, he has a lot to share with us. He is very specific about who God is, what God does, and he is calling us in this psalm to do the same thing, to praise God, to see those things about God. But we can't do that unless our eyes are wide open. Um, Ted and I, my husband, we have a friend in the church who's a young husband and a father, and he was sharing with me recently that he is colorblind and what that's looked like in his life, throughout his life. In elementary school, he he could only pick up a crayon if it had a color written on the side of it. Didn't know what that was. Um, When he was an adult, he has just a few driving issues. He has a few issues at work. Um, but for the most part, um, oh, I thought this was funny. He talked about when he gets up and he lays his clothes out on the bed that he's going to wear that day. You know, that's another (laughs) issue. And his wife will come in and go, up he goes, get some different clothes. He told me, for the most part, being colorblind has not been an emotional issue for him. He's lived with it. He's, he's OK with it, except for one time when he was on a vacation with his wife, and they went to California, and they went to Big Sur. I don't know how many of you have been there to look at the ocean. It's really gorgeous there. And his wife was standing right next to him, and she was so moved. And she kept saying how beautiful it was. And she kept saying how blue it was. And then she looked at her husband and said, well, what do you see? And he looked out at all that beauty and said, I see brown. And tears came to his eyes. And he said, that was an emotional moment for him. So even when we are not, Colorblind, sometimes that happens to us. We look out in this beautiful, colorful world with the realities of God everywhere, and sometimes it seems to look pretty brown to us. And then sometimes we might begin to th- think brown, and then we might begin to speak brown, and sort of like Winnie the Pooh's friend Eeyore. but our lips were made, created to speak the glories of who God is and what God does. And I think there's a lot of despair in the world today, and I think one of the culprits is this. We are being told to look inside ourselves. Look inside for our own truth. Look inside for our own identity. Look inside for our own happiness. Look inside for our own strength. And David has the solution for us. If you look at the top of your outline, when he said this, I would have despaired unless I had believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Instead of looking inward for his truth, his strength, he was looking upward. He had his eyes wide open, searching for the goodness of God. And because he was looking for it, he saw it, and thanksgiving would pour from his lips. And you and I have noticed all these many weeks we've been looking at these Psalms that David had enemies. Many, many enemies. In fact, I think that uh, we are feeling so. sorry for david about his enemies if one of them nonchalantly walked in this room today i think we'd all jump up and beat him up <laughs> they wouldn't know what hit them because we felt so sorry for him he heard a lot he pleaded with god he had questions confessions he expressed all of this in his psalms but he finished everyone Going back to what he knew to be true about God, he finished everyone speaking of the wonders of God. Eyes wide open. You know, I've shared this story before about my sweet granddaughter Alice, but it was a perfect illustration. I'm going to say it again. She was at our house, we were watching an animal show on TV, and it had this snake on a rock that had this tail that had a color on the point. And this smart snake would lay on the rock and just wiggle the end of his tail. To a bird, it looked like a butterfly. And so we watched this bird land next to it, unsuspecting, thinking it's going to eat the butterfly, and immediately the snake ate the bird. My first response, that poor bird. Alice's first response, isn't God so creative? (laughs) Wow, eyes wide open. How can we notice how good God is when we live in a world and often heartaches pursue us? Heartaches can be an enemy because they like to turn our eyes away from our loving God. So we have a lot we can learn from David from this psalm. The first thing is that we have to discipline our eyes. Look at verse 1, 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Okay, so you and I know each new day for David had um, many hard things in it. We face some of the same things, difficulties with family, friends, loss, health issues, betrayal. No matter what circumstances David's day contained, he was more for focused on the circumstances of who God is and what God does. He started each day with his eyes looking upward, and he was always overwhelmed by what he saw. We can tell the greatness of God filled David's heart, filled David's soul, and that's how he began his day. What a great way to do that. The very first thing he acknowledges in these verses is his relationship to God. It's a good place for us to begin when we're meeting with God to praise him. David knows he's God's king. But more importantly, he knows God is my king. And so he humbly positions himself in that kind of a relationship with God. That's how he begins his praise. We can remember that. Humility is a great position for us to take when we're in the presence of God. David wants to bless his name, and the term his name means he's going to bless God about the attributes of God. And in these first verses, he lumps them all in one big thing. God is great. He is just great. David knows he's so great, no one can ever plumb the depths of of God's greatness. And so he wants to praise him not just forever, forever and ever. Forever in eternity, God's praises to God, David's praises to God will be as eternal as the God he praises. So if we're tired of seeing brown, if we are wanting answers and we're tired of looking inward for those answers instead of being overwhelmed with life let's be overwhelmed with god let's look at the circumstances surrounding god and how great they are like david we can focus on god's attributes and when we do this and you all can have testimonies of this when we start our day looking up in praise. Doesn't your day look different after that? I think we find new perspectives. We find new hope. We find new joy, and we begin to develop a new kind of relationship with God. Not when we're just telling Him what to do, begging Him to change things, falling down, saying, why aren't you helping me here? Starting in praise will change how we approach each day. Okay, let's look at verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Okay, so when it comes to knowing how great God is, we have a responsibility to tell others, and that is in these verses. You know, um, I came to Christ through the high school youth ministry called Young Life, later volunteered in Young Life for many years, and then married my husband, Ted. He was also doing Young Life, and he was on staff doing Young Life. And uh, we sang a lot of songs in the Young Life Club. In fact, I played the guitar and led the songs, and Ted stood next to me, and I'm sure we were not good at all. But (laughs) everybody sang with us because Ted was so funny. Okay, we sang the same song year after year after year, and sometimes we would wish some of these songs would go by the wayside. I can remember one time Ted saying, I cannot sing Wade in the Water one more time. <laughs> well, one song we sang was Pass It On. Some of you may know this song. Uh, and I loved it, but we sang it so much. Uh, that was one I wished would go by the wayside. Um, Then I thought about the words, and they fit perfect with what David's saying here. I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I've found. You can depend on him. It doesn't matter where you're bound. I want to shout it from the mountaintop. I want the world to know the Lord of love has come to me, and I want to pass it on. Did you notice in those lyrics, they don't say, I'm supposed to pass it on. I want to pass it on. That means it's a joyful responsibility, and we consider it a joyful responsibility. Um, Not just something God wants us to do. Okay, did you notice in these verses how we share the greatness of God? Here's what David said. We commend we declare, we speak it, we pour forth spontaneously just because it's right here in our hearts. We sing about God loudly. Did you notice what we share? David tells us everything, his wondrous works, his acts, the glorious splendor of his majesty, his awesome deeds, his greatness, his abundant goodness, his righteousness. Okay, we could just write those down, then we'd have a list. These are the things I'm going to share with other people. If we just share one of those praises to someone, we can really move a heart toward God. You know, um, my mom was a good mom, but she was a lost mom until later in my life. And before she knew the Lord, I remember talking to her once about just the majesty of Christ, because she thought, well, different roads can lead to heaven. They're all one path. So I shared Philippians 2 with her. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that was the only thing we shared in that conversation. I came back to visit her. A year later, I remember where I was standing in the kitchen, drying the dishes, and she came alongside me and said, you know what you talked about last time? Well, I believe that now. She had a year to think about just the fact we're all going to bow before Jesus Christ one day. There is no one else we're going to bow before. And that was a great moment. Just sharing one truth about the glories of God can change a life eternally. Okay, we know the how and the what about sharing, but what is the who in these verses? In these verses, David is speaking about sharing the greatness of God with our family, to be passed down to the next family and the next family and go on and on. In fact, I was talking to Darcy today, and she was telling me how she took a picture and showed me that on a chalkboard in her kitchen, they've written down some praises of God, been in her kitchen for 12 years. I think her kids know (laughs) those praises of God. A great way to pass it on. Look at Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from the heart, your heart, all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You know, a family has a lot of traditions. A greatest family tradition should be passing on praise to the next generation. God's wonders that happen within a family should not be permitted to just pass away in silence. That we didn't tell each other, that we didn't share. I love how this one author put it this way. He said, it isn't right that the goodness of the living God should be buried in the cemetery of silence or in the grave of ingratitude. Instead, every generation should contribute their God stories, and then the God stories will go from a chapter to a volume that generations can talk about as time goes by. You know, we know Israel's priests, they initiated praise and prepared for it um, in the temple. And yet they died. But guess what didn't die? The adoration continued because they had prepared the people for the adoration. That's our goal to carry on the name of the greatness of God, sharing what he's done for us. The other day, I had my little three year old grandson, Miles, and there's some great children's books out about God that are so helpful. And I was reading one of these children's books, and I wasn't at all considering talking about the Trinity, but this book was. <laughs> and I was like, he's never going <gasps> to, this very simple book. So I say the word Trinity, and I think, okay. I... I've got to say something, I've got to explain this to him. So I mentioned that God is God the Father, and God the Son, and God got the Spirit, and little Miles said, so there's three gods? And, I, and of course, why wouldn't you think? I said, well, actually, it's just, there are three persons in, in one God, and I looked at Miles and he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I blew his little mind. But books are one way we can continue praising God. How do we keep praise alive in our hearts enough that we want to pass it on? If we look at David in these verses, we see in verse five, first he's meditating on the wondrous works of God. And then in verse six, he declares, he comes away from his meditation declaring, what he learned about God in his time with him. So David maintains that attitude of praise through meditation and declaration. Okay, meditation today, not happening. Nobody's comfortable anymore without a screen or a sound or a voice or a person. It means you get away from everything. You're alone by yourself. You have no sound. You don't have a phone. You don't have music playing. It's just you and God, and you're thinking about His greatness. And He's telling you more about how great He is. Then we get up, and we declare that praise to others. And guess what? There is power in the praise we share about God, because His Holy Spirit manifests itself in the midst of our praise. We don't have to be the power. The power will be in the praise from God's spirit. And our family will be blessed by the words we share with them. So we focus our eyes on the mighty works of God. That's meditation. And then we're eager to share what we learn. That's declaration. Okay, let's look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So the last verses were more about what God does, pointing to his greatness. And David's thankful testimony right here is about who God is, the nature of God, And this list of God's attributes, God himself had shared with Moses many years earlier. Remember when he was on the top of Mount Sinai one day, and he was standing in the cleft of a rock, and the glory of God was passing by. And look at Exodus on your verse sheet. Here's what God told Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord! The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's everything David just shared in these two verses. God possesses these kind of attributes in a way that we never can. We might see these words and think, yeah, yeah, that was a merciful thing to do. We can never have the mercy of God. They are so deep and so amazing. His words, His ways, His promises, His purposes for our lives are based on the foundation of His faithfulness, His love, His grace, and His mercy. Every single day when we get up, we are facing the benefits of having that kind of God in our lives. Never can we sin so greatly that the nature of God changes and rises up against us. His mercy is greater than our sin. Look at Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, what about God being slow to anger? That's listed here as well. It is because God is slow to anger that we obtained our salvation. And it is because God is slow to anger that we maintain our salvation. We were far from God before we knew him. We were um, ignoring his grace or declining his grace. He was long-suffering. And was patient with us. As believers, you and I wander from him at times. And guess what? He is waiting for us. Because he's merciful and long-suffering and slow to anger. And more than just waiting for us, he is coming for us. Coming for us. You know, many years ago, Christ Chapel did a children's musical called We Like Sheep. It was great. In this musical, there's one sheep that strays away from the shepherd and from the rest of the flock. My daughter Cassie wanted that part very badly. (laughs) She wanted the opportunity to be bad. She told me this. And of course, in the play, they called it bad. (laughs) That was her. So at the end of the musical, the shepherd goes out looking for Cassie, the lost sheep, and she is way at the back of the church. And he scooped her up in his arms, the shepherd, and walked up the center aisle of the church all the way, and we watched it all the way till he got on the stage and set her down, the lost sheep, with all the rest of God's flock, And it was actually a very moving visual to watch. And I remember thinking in my heart, that is what God's going to do for Cassie the rest of her life. Because that's what he does for you and me. Every time we stray, he searches for us and brings us back into that relationship with him. Look at what Ezekiel says. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And then how can we describe God's steadfast love? I just say we can't. We can't understand the depth of his love. Um, But when we look at his son, we can witness it. John 3.16 on your verse sheet tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the love of God. I love the hymn, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. That's the love of Jesus and God in our lives. So like Moses, every day we have the privilege of standing in the cleft of the rock, to view the unchanging nature of God passing through every single day that we live on this earth. And the indescribable nature of God we recognize means indescribable blessings for his children. You know, I was at my daughter Cassie's house real recently and my same granddaughter Alice was in the kitchen. She was playing with something on the kitchen floor and I looked close at it and it was a gold charm bracelet. And I thought, oh, where'd you, where'd you get that, Alice? And she goes, oh, Nani gave it to Mommy. So that would be my mom gave it to Cassie at some time. And I started looking closer at it, and I started recognizing it in my mom's jewelry box. And I knew that that was a pure gold charm bracelet that had been passed down from someone else in her life. It was very Gint vintage. And I thought, man, I don't know. That bracelet might be worth a little more than just playing with it on the kitchen floor. <laughs> so. We were going somewhere Cassie and I and we got in the car and I kind of mentioned my thoughts about it and so Cassie said, "Well, let me just look up one of these charms, one of the gold charms." And she Googled vintage gold charms and it pulled it up and it was worth between 800 and 1,000 dollars. And there it is, a whole (laughs) bracelet of these. And so, you know, we both sort of agreed, not really a play toy. Uh, (laughs) Little did Alice or Cassie know that they possessed such a precious gift, often as God's children. We have the privilege of living this life, experiencing the gifts of the nature of our God, and we maybe don't even recognize how precious they are. They are a treasure. They fill our lives and make them beautiful. You know, think about other religions that are false religions in the world. Consider the nature of their gods. What are their followers like? They live in fear. They live with guilt. They feel alone. They feel scared. God's grace and mercy, his patience, his steadfast love. We don't have to feel any of those things. We get to feel the joy of having a relationship with the one true living God. And we must open our eyes in praise. Look at verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And some translations have one more verse there. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Okay, so David is speaking again about witnessing to others about who God is. And who is it that points out the greatness of God in these verses? First, it's the works of God. All that God has made, they bear the marks of his wonder, creation, and all its depth and its height is a manifestation that's beautiful of God's Spirit. But without God, the same world was dark and dead. Without God's Spirit in our lives, we were dark and dead in our sins. But one day by His grace alone, we get to be the other ones that share the testimony of God's greatness, because now we wear a name tag that says saint. We are saints of God. As God's highest creation, we get to explain. It's an honor of explaining God to a lost and a hurting world. Look at 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you mo- may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In order to do that well, again, our, we have to have thankful hearts. When our hearts are full of God, our tongues cannot help but confess who he is and speak about him and share his goodness. So in these verses, David gives us our marching orders. First, he says, you will speak of the glories of God's kingdom, and that means explaining to others that God is the king and ruler over all creation and over everything and then we're to tell of his power, and that means we're to tell that it's God alone. It's God's power alone that supports this kingdom that he has created, and we are part of that, and then we are to make known God's mighty deeds and how glorious he is. I have a friend who had some co-workers, and they all worked together, and um, my friend knew the Lord, but these other few coworkers didn't. Uh, They didn't understand a real relationship with God. But at times, different times, they would decide they would give up certain things to get in God's good standing. And one of them said to my friend, hey, how come you don't ever do that? You look religious. Why don't you give up something? And, And my friend was able to say, I don't need to give up something to earn God's favor. Jesus gave up his life for me. She told the coworker, I live under the grace of God. It's not about works of mine that make God happy. And it was so neat. The woman listened to her and went on her way. And years later, they hadn't seen each other even. She received a letter from that woman saying, when you talked about the grace of God, a seed began to grow in my heart. And I have come to accept Jesus As my Savior. When God is alive in our hearts, like it was in my friend, what can keep us from sharing the truths of God to others? We are to be looking for the hopeless people God has put in our lives. Thanksgiving's a good time to look around at the Thanksgiving table. Who needs the hope of God? And we share that hope. With the hopeless people God's put around us. David's final praises are about our needs and God's provision that God is always caring for us, always caring for us. We don't think he's caring for us. He can't help but care for us. That's who he is. So, remembering his promise of provision, if when we believe that, then we will find strength when trials come our way. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling, and he raises up all who are bowed down. And the wording here describes um, ongoing acts of God continual help for the needy, and if you notice, God reverses the way the world treats people. God holds down the lofty and raises up the lowly in these verses. In David's day, the same people that sang this psalm we're studying also were singing some of David's lament songs. We have to do that as well, but when we discipline ourselves to praise God At that time when we're most hurting, it will bring up strength that carries us through our pain. And it's saying to God, I know, I know you've got this. Praising Him in our pain. Here's what these verses tell us when we are falling, God is holding. When we are bowed down and our heart is bowed low, God is raising. Remember, he is our caring shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us to still waters. He restores our very soul. Look at verse 15. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of everything. So as God's children, we fix our gaze. We lift our eyes up on him to give us what we need. All creation does that. And when we look up, we see God's hands of grace. And they are like this, which means it's easy to receive things from him. And they are like this, which means they are filled. And he's liberal with the good things that he wants to give us. In fact, I read this man wrote this in 1883. It shows you how God doesn't change. He wrote this, God is about your path. God is about your bed. Is this a God of who to be suspicious? Is this a God to mistrust? Move past from what is unclear in God's dealings to what is clear. His tender mercies are over all his works. I love that. But we have to look to God to notice his hands are open. Let's look at verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He's near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cries, and saves them. Okay, so in these verses, we hear he's near us, he fulfills our desires, he hears our cries, and he saves us. But the very first thing David talks about is God is righteous, and God is kind. And that's a benefit for us, because God's righteousness will bring wisdom and the kind ways he needs to deal with us. It's wise judgment of God. So he's eager to hear from us. He's eager to be near us, but we have to do it in truth, David says. And what he means by that is when we seek God, we have to seek God for who he really is according to his word. And lots of people call on God in ways that he hasn't revealed himself. This is called the God of their own imagination. And these people will be sorely disappointed about their lives and their needs. Not knowing a true God, people seek their own will. They create a God of their own will. Those who call on God in truth, they seek the holy will of their Father. And he says, well, then he hears us and we are saved. What are we saved from? We are saved from the futility of pursuing our own foolish will. When we pursue God in truth, we are saved because we are living in the fullness of his will for our lives. With him at our side. Look at First John 5. This is the confidence we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Okay, in case we think God's mercy overrides God's justice, David ends this psalm declaring the fate of those who refuse to acknowledge God compared to those who do acknowledge God. Let's look at verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. All flesh. We were created to bless God. And those who choose to walk through life with their eyes closed, to the wonders of God will also face death apart from the wonders of God but David says those who choose to live life wide open eyes noticing and seeing God's greatness God will preserve and those people will spend eternity seeing more wonders than we could ever imagine great is the Lord Greatly to be praised. Let's pray. Right now, Father, this whole group of wonderful women are praising your name because we know your word's true. We know it's been true in our lives. And we know one day we will see you face to face. And it will be true for all eternity. And because of that, we give you our praise.